The Christmas season is upon us. And when I say the Christmas season is upon us, immediately most of you automatically go to the shopping season is upon us, right? Because this is the season that is set apart, really, not only for us to celebrate our Savior's birth, but in a sense to demonstrate generosity, to demonstrate our love for other people. But the difficulty of the Christmas season is that we kind of get distracted from that sometimes. That in the midst of trying to do some very good things, in the midst of doing some very godly things, of, of demonstrating generosity, of giving gifts, of, of celebrating the gift of heaven to us, ultimately what we can often find happening in our lives is we can find it being sown into our hearts is discontentment. That perhaps Christmas is the time in which discontentment is sown into our hearts more than any other time of the year. Because for most of us, Christmas almost becomes a Christian paradox. In one sense, we are, we are praising and, and rejoicing over the Savior that came, the Emmanuel, God, who, who left the riches of heaven, who, who forsook them and left them behind to come and be born in a barn, who emptied himself and, and humbled himself and humiliated himself on our account. And so in celebrating our contentment in him, and our rest in him, and our satisfaction in him, we end up spending and spending and spending and spending in such a way that we find no contentment. And so to celebrate the humble birth of our Savior, we go with this very ostentatious giving. And it's complicated by the fact that the discontentment, I think, in our hearts is, is largely uh, rises from the fact that we get caught up in the comparison game, don't we? Did, did my children get as good a Christmas as everybody else's? When, when my kids go back to school, will they be as proud of what they have received as their friends are? Did my husband like his reindeer sweater as much as his friend liked his deer rifle? No. He didn't. Why did she spend less on me than I spent on her? How could, how could they not think of me this year? How could, how could I be out of their, out of, uh, off of their radar? And so we get wrapped up in this season in which we celebrate contentment, in which we, we rejoice in contentment, in which we rejoice in the satisfaction that we have in Christ. And, and in all of that, we kind of get caught up and, and swept away by the, by the winds of society and by the, by the winds of consumerism and the winds of materialism. And we get swept away into a place in which our hearts are utterly wicked and disgusting and sinful. And it's this heart problem. This heart problem that, that is natural for all of us. This heart problem that all of us are, are living our lives in Christ by the power of the Spirit to overcome. It's, it's this heart problem that Jesus is going to speak to this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Jesus has spent the first half of Matthew 6 kind of talking about the uh, private, the secret uh, parts of his of discipleship. He's talked about, about giving to the needy and doing it in secret. He's talked about praying and praying in your prayer closet. He's talked about fasting and, and fasting in a way that nobody knows. So doing these things in secret. 
And now on the last half of chapter 6, Jesus is really going to get into the more public sphere and, and talking about what, what public discipleship often looks like and, and how we can guard our hearts and how we can prepare our hearts so that we honor him in that arena. So if you would, stand with me as we read God's word together. We're going to begin in verse 19 and read through verse 24. It says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is like the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now I understand this morning that when we come to a text like this, and, and, and that's one of the, another one of the things that I love about expository preaching, about preaching through books, is you know I didn't cherry pick this. This is just where we are next, right? But when we come to a text like this that's talking about giving, that's talking about our money, that's talking about our resources, I understand that there's a large contingency of people that just want no part of it. I understand that there is a large percentage of people, perhaps even here this morning, that really just don't want to hear about what they should give and about the financial aspect of the faith and Jesus talking about They don't want to hear about that because it's very personal, right? And it's very real for us because all of us intuitively want to give maybe, but, but really want to spend it on ourselves more. And we don't want to hear the preacher going and, and ranting about all of that stuff. And so before we get into the text, I just wanna, I want you to consider just th about three things. First of all, I hope I have some credibility here. I'm not, hopefully you realize by now, if you've been with us any amount of time, I am not the, the ranting, fundraising, guilt-driven preacher. Matter of fact, I don't know that I've hardly talked about money at all since I've been your pastor. And so I hope you will, understanding that context, I mean, framed up and, and having some familiarity with me now, that you will be willing to, to listen and to engage in this text this morning. The second thing that I, I hope you consider is that if your heart is so anti this, if your heart immediately wants to shut down when you hear us talk about money, immediately if you want to withdraw from the text, that it is you, in fact, that Jesus is speaking to here. That you are exactly the kind of person that, that Jesus wants to, and he wants to do this for your good. Randy Alcorn supposes that 15% of everything that Jesus talked about was about money. If you were to add all the times that Jesus talked about heaven, and all the times that Jesus talked about hell, and you were to combine them, they would not be equal as often as he talks about money. And so this is a significant word for his disciples. An important word for his disciples. Lastly, the reason we're talking about this, the reason that it's in Matthew chapter 6, the reason that Jesus addresses this with his disciples is because it's for your good. It's best for you. Proverbs 14, 21 tells us, happy are those that are gracious to the needy. In other words, there is a happiness, and my experience tells me this, and I believe Proverbs 14 teaches this, I believe all the scripture teaches this, is there is no happiness like generous happiness. 
There's a happiness and there's a joy and there's a contentment that comes through generosity and sacrifice that you just can't buy. And so I hope this morning you will, you will come with me down through this text, that you will engage the text this morning. So Jesus in verse 19 says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Uh, I like the way the New English translation translates this. It says, do not accumulate for yourself the things on earth. Do not accumulate. And that, that really encompasses what Jesus is talking about and, and really helps us to wrap our minds around what he's saying. Now, as a disclaimer, what Jesus is not doing is Jesus is not saying that you should feel bad about every purchase that you ever make. As a matter of fact, we should see the resources that we have. We should see the material things that we've been given, the provision that God has given us. We should see them as gifts from our Heavenly Father that loves us and, and is a, a reason, another reason in which we can rejoice Him and worship Him. And so there's a very real sense in which the things that you own are gifts from Him that should cause a reflex of worship to you. And so Jesus is not coming after that. Jesus is not coming after wise savings and wise preparations and, and having rainy day accounts and having life insurance. Jesus is not coming after those things. No, I would point you back to the word accumulation. That what Jesus is pointing to is Jesus is pointing and he's coming after this, this natural desire that we have to hoard all of our things for ourselves. This natural desire that we have to spend all of our money on ourselves and on our families. That Jesus is saying that we should not try to accumulate, we should not try to stockpile in this earth, we should not try to hoard the things that we find here because all of these things are going to go away. What Jesus in fact is coming after here is he's coming after the heart whose first reflex is spend, buy, and obtain rather than, say, uh, rather than give, help, and serve. Jesus is coming after the heart who as soon as it has a dollar says, what else can I get? What else can I have? I want this and I want that and I, my kids want, I want them to have this and I want them to have that. I want to, to enlarge my empire on earth. I want to enlarge my kingdom on earth. And so Jesus is saying, if that's your heart, you need to listen clear, carefully. You need to listen cautiously. And Jesus is saying this because he understands. And he, get, he, and he unpacks this further in, in verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is coming after this because Jesus understands that this type of stinginess, this type of greed, this type of selfishness is detrimental to you. It's detrimental to you. It's not good for you, it's not good for your children, it's not good for your family. See, what Jesus is teaching us is something that we should all know. All of us have seen it in our lives, all of us have seen it in the lives of people that we know and the people that we love, and it's this, earthly treasures are remarkably insecure. Remarkably insecure. So much so that there is nothing that you have right now. There is nothing that you're wearing, there is nothing that you own, there is nothing in your garage, there is nothing in your house that you can't, couldn't lose in one second. That in fact, all of these things can go away just as quickly as you get them, if not faster. Hasn't it always just perplexed you how many basketball players go broke? Football players go broke? Scottie Pippen made $33 million dollars. $33 million playing for the Chicago Bulls. And you know how much he has now? Nothing. Nothing. It goes away. 
It's fleeting. It, it's insecure. It doesn't last. It's not substantial. And the language that Jesus is using here is to point us to that, that, to, that everything can go away. He first talks about those things that can rot or those things that can decay or those things that can corrode, those things that can go away. When he's talking about moth and rust, he's really talking about anything that can, can decay over time or can wear out over time or can be uh, eaten over time. We should remember that there is no Mercedes that won't rust and there is no polo shirt that won't one day have holes. There is no house that you can buy that is termite proof, tornado proof. That all of these things are fleeting. And by the way, if you say, well, diamonds are forever, diamonds last forever, Jesus got that covered too, you know what he says? And the thieves will steal it. The thieves will steal it. There is no resource that you have here that will endure. There is nothing that you can invest in here that will last. All of it is fleeting. All of it is going away. And Jesus is telling us this because the tendency of our lives, the tendency of our society, the tendency of our sin-bent flesh is to build all of our lives on these earthly treasures. But if earthly treasures are insecure, how much more insecure are the lives that are built on them? Far too many people, far too many Christians build their lives in such a way that moths and rust and thieves can destroy them. I believe that the majority of the insecurities that we have in our lives go back to the fact that we are building our lives on things that moths and rust can destroy and can wreck. Because if we're not careful... Our identity can get wrapped up in our earthly treasures, can it? We go to work, and we, have, we get a promotion, and another promotion, and another promotion. And so we buy this house, then we go buy that house, then we go and buy that house. And, and as we expand our kingdom, we expand our chest, and our chest gets poked out a little bit. And we say, look at what I've given to my family. Look what I've given to my children. Look what I've given to my wife or to my husband. But then what happens when you lose that job? What happens when you retire and you don't have somewhere to go the next Monday? Your identity collapses and you have nothing left. All of your sense of self-worth, all of your sense of any hope, all of your sense of any value, all comes crashing down. You built your life in such a way that moths and rust could destroy. And you know, I, I fear that we do the same thing with our children that we're, we're sowing discontentment into the hearts of our children this way. Think about this. We, we can, our children come to us and they say, we can only, I can only wear this brand and I can only drive this car. And we give in. Affirming essentially what they're saying. Affirming essentially that, that this, what they're saying is okay. Affirming essentially that, that this is right. We're teaching them. To build their life in a way that moths and rust destroy. Because what's going to happen is they're, they're going to go to college. And they're going to get a job and they're going to get married. And they're going to bring this pressure. They're going to bring this materialism into their marriage. They're going to bring this materialism to their next stage of life. And they're going to be broke. Right? You remember that? You remember being broke? I remember being broke, okay? Still feel pretty broke. But I remember being really broke. Megan and I used to... <laughs> this is just an aside... Megan was doing her student teaching when we first got married. I was in Talladega, and 
not making any, anything, right? And so to pay all of our bills, we, we, so we were so, this is embarrassing. I probably shouldn't say this, should I? To pay all of our bills, there was this bill, play, bill pay place in, in Talladega, right? And I didn't know. I mean, but they charge like $15 to pay your bills. I, I, I thought that was normal. I thought that was okay. And so to make sure that every bill was paid on the day it was due, we would get a check. I would run to the bill pay place, and they would mail it so it would be a next day payment, right? You know what I'm talking about. You've been there. You look at me with your self-righteous grins, but you've been there. But what happens is, is we, we sow this into the hearts of our children. And they come to a season of life where they don't have you backing them, or at least they shouldn't. They should be standing on their own. And so they, they, they need the right car, and they need the right clothes, and so they go head over heels in debt for it. And then one day they can't pay the bill down, or they can't, they've gotten so deep in debt that they can't overcome it. And then what happens? They feel like failures because they can, can't maintain this standard of living, and they can't maintain all of these things in which they have found their identity, all of these things in which they have found their self-worth, and their whole world collapses, and then their marriage collapses because it can't withstand this pressure that we've placed on it. We sow this into the hearts of our children through Little League sports and travel ball. We tell our children, find your identity in this. You're going to be a great baseball player. You're going to get your scholarship in this. You're going to get your life set apart this way. And so we take them, and we take them, and we take them, and we take them. There's not a week of rest in their lives. And then what happens? They're one knee injury away. They're one missed growth spurt away from their whole identity collapsing. Brothers and sisters, for the good of your children, you need to deprive them of some things. It's not love to give them everything their heart wants because their heart is exceedingly wicked. It's not loving them to indulge their every need because you've got to sow into their hearts contentment and satisfaction and rest, not discontentment and materialism. But we do this in ourselves also. You should deprive yourself of some things that you want. You should deprive yourself of some things that you could perhaps go out and buy, but you really don't need. You should deprive yourself of those things so that you can sow into your heart contentment, so that you can sow into your heart rest, so that you can remind yourself that your identity is in Christ, not in your truck, not in your boat, not in your house, not in your job, but in Christ. Remember, over and over and over, as Jesus calls us to follow him, he beckons us to deny ourselves. So Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, or do not accumulate for yourself treasures on earth. But, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus says, we've got options here. That, that we're, either, we're either building a kingdom on earth or we're building a kingdom on heaven. We're either stockpiling treasures here or we're stockpiling treasures there. That it's not really a both and. And so what Jesus is bringing to our attention is the question of what are we going to invest in? In what are we going to invest our resources? In what are we going to invest our money? In what are we going to invest our limited time and our limited things that we have? Essentially what Jesus is saying, when we get to verse 20, is Jesus is saying, don't blow your money, invest it in the kingdom of God. But truth be told, we blow much more money than we invest, don't we? 
We blow our money sometimes by spending it all on our families. We blow our money sometimes by, by buying a house that so extends us that every check as soon, it goes out as soon as it comes in. We blow our money by, by hoarding it and stacking it up to, to perhaps leave it behind us when we die. We, we blow our money by buying things that we don't need and, buy, and, and investing in things that we'll never be able to keep. The truth of the matter is, is that for too many Christians, we invest every year more money in our pets and soulless dogs than we do in the building of the kingdom of God. And that should be an indictment for us. As we stand before our king, it will be an indictment against us. So what Jesus is reminding us here is that the way that we invest our temporary resources, the way that we invest our earthly resources, will determine what our, our heavenly resources look like, what our heavenly treasures look like. That the way that we invest them here will determine what it looks like when we get there. What, the way that we invest those things that can never last will determine what it looks like when we get there where everything will last forever. Now, if you're like me, this is hard. This is a difficult teaching. These are difficult words to read, difficult words to say, difficult words to hear. Because it's painful. It's painful to consider that I, I might need to do without some things that I really kind of want. It's painful that we're going to have to spend time talking to our children and telling them why they're not getting what their friends got when they want it so badly. It's painful, and it's hard, because we know that we fail in this more often than we succeed in this. But we need to be reminded that gospel generosity is always painful. Gospel generosity is always painful. After all, who is our example? Our example is, as we celebrate this Christmas season, the Emmanuel, the God with us, the one that came, lived in a barn, humbled himself, humiliated himself on our behalf. The one who walked and lived throughout his ministry as a homeless man walking from town to town so that other people might have hope, doing without himself so that they might have. Ultimately, our example is the cross. The cross in which he spills his blood. The cross in which he gives up everything that he had left, even his health, even his life, so that we might have life in him forever. What Jesus is advocating for us is that even though it's painful and even though it's difficulty, that temporary pain, even temporary poverty is worth investing in a treasure that is not merely temporary and not only temporary. That if we will invest our lives this way, that even though it hurts now and even though it's sacrificial now and even though it's difficult now, one day when we get to the feast, one day when we stand before the Father, there will be no question in our minds of its worthiness. We will rejoice and we will be thankful. Perhaps this is a good time for us to talk about how much we should give. As we consider that, that our example is the one that forsook the treasures of heaven. To come to earth on our behalf. As we consider that our example is the one that, that, that walked around as a humble homeless man on our behalf. As we consider that our example is, is the cross uh, where he completely empties himself and gives up himself. In light of that, 
How should we give? And, and you need to understand any concept, any, any concept of New Testament giving is always done in light of the cross. It's always done in light of God's remarkable generosity toward us. It's always done in light of, of Christ's remarkable display and demonstration of generosity toward us. So how much should we give? We should give until it hurts. We should give until it hurts. We should give until it costs us something. We should give until it deprives us of something. We should give until there's something that we can't have that we want because we've given to him. Because we've given that offering. Because remember, when we come to Christ, we come saying, I'm a blank check. Do with me whatever you would please. Take me wherever. Do with me whatever. Do in me whatever. I'm yours. I'm coming after you. And I want you. Well, every week we bring an offering. What are we saying? God, I'm still all in. I'm still all in. I'll do without some things here. I'll do without some, some creature comforts here. I'll deprive myself here because I'm showing you, Jesus, I'll go wherever you go. I'll go wherever you lead me. I will forsake all of this. I will go to the ends of the earth on your name. I will forsake all of my treasures on your behalf. Here, have it all. Here's just, here's just a, a portion of that to show you that I'm really all in. Are you really all in? Now this morning, there are really two groups of people here that I want to talk to, just super practically. The first is, is perhaps you're younger in the faith, or you're new to the faith, or you're less mature in the faith. And so giving is either not happening in your life, or it's new to your life, or it's inconsistent in your life. And the first thing I want you to hear me say, it's okay. It's not okay that it stays that way, but it's okay that that's where you are right now. It's okay. God, God, grace covers all of that. Grace covers, the only re reason, I was thinking about this this morning, the only way that I can stand in this pulpit every, way, every week and preach is by grace. Because I'm so messed up, and I'm so flawed, that if, if I had to be right with the Lord every time I stand to preach, and I had to have, have zero sinful desires every time I preach, I would never get to say a word to you. Okay? The only way we get to live the Christian life is by grace. And so if, if that's you, you're, you're young in the faith, you're less mature in the faith, you're, you're, you're growing in the faith, you feel the Lord moving in you saying, I want to do something, but I'm not doing anything, here's what I would just say to you. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. We all have to walk, crawl before we can walk. We all have to walk before we can run. So start somewhere. Decide what, what in your life can you cut out? What in your life can you deprive of yourself? And then whatever that is, give it. Give it. I would say that it would be helpful, though, if you began thinking in the context of percentages. Because what does that do? That builds discipline in your life, doesn't it? That, that's saying, all right, I'm at least going to take aside this percentage, and I'm going to give that to the Lord. That no matter what happens, no matter what comes in, I'm going to offer this to the Lord. Perhaps you can't start at 10%. Perhaps you start at 3% or 4%. Or 5%, and you would just add a percent to it as you're able to, as you, as you grow, and or as, as, as you're able to, because sometimes what happens is we, we come to faith after we've got all the debt, and after we've got all of the bills, and after we're, we're it's, not, it's not godly for you to neglect your debt and to not pay the debtor, right? It is ungodly to continue taking it on, but it's not ungodly to, to pay the debtor. So you need to pay them. And as that goes away, you can begin increasing your giving more and more and more and more. But you're building into your life the idea that I'm going to be a percentage giver. You're building into your life the idea that I'm going to devote a significant portion of my earthly resources to gospel ministry and to gospel advancement. Now some of you are more 
mature in your giving. You're maybe more mature in your faith. And so you give consistently and you give faithfully. And I want you to hear me say, I praise God for you. I praise God for you. Our church is able to do some incredible things because of your faithfulness and because of your willingness to give and your denying of yourself. But let me ask you this. When was the last time you really knew the joy of sacrificial giving? Because you see, the scandal of the tithe is that we say it's that much and no more. It's capping our giving. But in the New Testament, there is not one example, not one example of measured, calculated, capped giving. Now, in the New Testament, what is the model? The model is the cross. In the New Testament, what is the model? It's Luke 14, that says, My disciples must forsake all of their disciples, all of their possessions to come after me. The New Testament model is in Acts, in the early church, and they're, they're selling their property and giving all of it to gospel advancement, and, and selling their possessions and giving all of it to gospel advancement. It's not this calculated, any type of, of capped concept of giving is ungodly and arbitrary at best. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, the tithe, uh, when, when you, if you were to combine all the offerings that they make together, and the tithe is rooted in the Old Testament, but if you were to combine together all of the offerings of the Old Testament, it would come to 23% of your yearly income. 23%, not 10. And so if we're not careful, what we can do with the tithe is the same thing that the Pharisees have done with the law. We can set the tithe aside and say, that's my God bill. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay my God bill, and as long as I pay my God bill, then I can go out and I can spend as selfishly as I want to after that. But let me just warn you, brothers and sisters, any biblically justified selfishness is a dangerous sin. Anytime we try to use scripture, anytime we try to use spiritual things to justify our own selfishness, to justify our own self-indulgence, is sin, and it dishonors Christ rather than honors him. And so what can you deprive now? Perhaps you've gotten used to paying that, so much so that it's almost just out of sight and out of mind. I would say do without something new. Deprive yourself of something new. Raise the percentage something higher. Raise it up to something more sacrificial, that's more painful, that's more so that you could come and offer and say, Lord, I want to know the joy of sacrificial giving again. Because as Jesus tells us, he really gets to me, to the heart of what he's talking about in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus has always been doing, what he's been constantly doing is Jesus has been appealing to the heart. What he's been teaching us is that the heart, everything that you do in your life and everything that happens in your life and everything that takes place in your pursuit of him and in your, your daily living, all of it flows from your heart. And so he's taught us things like... Are you angry? You've committed murder in your heart. Are you lusting? You've committed adultery in your heart. Are you giving? Are you praying? Are you fasting in some ostentatious way? Then you're dishonoring the Lord with your heart. And so now as he comes into this, this arena, this, this, this consideration of earthly treasures, this consideration of earthly money, he says, hey, what about your heart? Think about what this says about your heart. All of us know that we spend money on that which is important to us. We spend our money on that which matters to us, on, the, on that which is a priority for us. And so Jesus is reminding us that if you want to know where your heart is, look at your bank ledger. Go to your bank statements. 
log on to your online banking and see where it's all been going over the past month, over the past six months. You want to know what you love? You'll see it there. You'll see it there. Because you're giving your money, your resources reflect your heart. This reminds me of one of my favorite parables is in Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells this parable about this man who's, who's walking through a field one day and he stumbles across the most valuable treasure that he's ever seen. Immediately, this man knows that the treasure that, that he's found is, is infinitely more valuable than anything else that he owns. And so, Matthew 13 says that in his joy, he goes and he sells everything that he has so that he can buy the field. Brothers and sisters, what we need to understand this morning, and the truth that we need to build our lives upon, is that when we find the right treasure, everything else is an affordable loss. When we find the treasure worth forsaking everything else for, then it's really not even a sacrifice because we have found the treasure that is worth selling everything we own so that we might buy the field. That's what we have in Christ. We have a treasure that valuable. I've often, I've been asked by numerous people why I haven't preached on money more. Why I haven't preached on giving more. And I'll tell you why. The reason I don't stand every week and ask you for money is not because we don't need it. We need it here. It's not because it's not important. It's important because it takes money for us to advance the gospel. It takes money for us to plant churches and build orphanages. It takes money for us to accomplish student ministry and children's ministry. It takes money to do these things. It takes money to, to, to reach our schools and do prayer breakfast. And do, it takes money to do all of things. Not, not that it's not important. It's not that it's not needed. The reason I haven't talked about money is because money is only a symptom of a greater problem. I will never, ever, ever, ever see my job as being a divine fundraiser. No. What, what, what is money a symptom of? It's a symptom of the heart. It's a symptom of the heart problem. And so I've always believed philosophically that if we ever were to wrap our minds just around a, an edge of the greatness of God, if we were ever to wrap our minds just around a corner of the glory of God, if we were to ever just for a moment be able to, to glimpse in and understand his scandalous generosity toward us, then we could not help but to be generous. Our problem is not our lack of generosity. Our problem is that we see God as being too small and unworth it. And so over the past year and a half, I haven't preached on money. I've preached on the greatness of God and the grace of God and the generosity of God a lot. Because when we get that, when we get that, the generosity comes. You see, you know not just what you love by what you spend your money on. You also know what you love by what you neglect. You're going to neglect something in your life. You're going to cheat some area of your life. Is it going to be your hobby? Is it going to be your children? Is it going to be your car, your house? Is it going to be your church? Is it going to be missions? Gospel advancement? Is it going to be the needy? You're going to neglect something. Resources are limited. We don't live in the most affluent neighborhood in the world. I can't imagine that many of you have resources that are never going to end. They're going to end. And so what are you going to invest them in? Are you going to blow them? 
Jesus finishes this up by giving us kind of two different comparisons. He first talks about light and darkness. And then he talks about being a slave um, to either money or being a slave to, to God. And what Jesus is teaching us here is that his disciples must have a single-mindedness about them. That, that if, you, if you're filled with discontentment and a desire for materialism, you live in the darkness. You're devoted to the earth. But if you're filled with generosity and you're filled with, with a passion for the Lord and for the building of his kingdom, then you're filled with light. If you're filled with self-indulgence, you're a slave to money. If you're filled with self-denial, you're, you're a slave to God. And so what Jesus is bringing into our, our minds is that we are to have a, a laser-focused focus, single-mindedness toward him, single-minded affection toward him, single-minded passion toward him. It brings into our minds Revelation 3 when he's talking to the church of Laodicea, doesn't it? When he says, you're not hot and you're not cold. I wish you were one of the other. No, you're lukewarm, and so I spit you out of my mouth. I spew you out of my mouth. Brothers and sisters, the slave language that Jesus uses in verse 24 will not allow you to have one foot in the world and one foot in heaven. It will not allow you to consider the possibility of accumulating both great treasures in heaven and great treasures in earth. What Jesus demands from us this morning is to choose this day who we will serve. To choose this day who we will follow. To choose this day on who we will invest in. When I was growing up, my dad tried to teach me a lot about money, and I'm very thankful for the things that he taught me. He's, he's very good in that area. And so he t- one of the things that he taught me was the difference between depreciating assets and appreciating assets. And so what my dad would say is that you don't want to invest or you don't want to spend your money on depreciating assets. So you don't want to spend your money on getting a new car every couple years or, or getting new clothes all the time or getting uh, new golf clubs all the time or, or whatever. Because as soon as you buy those things, they depreciate in value. So if you, you spend $100, by the next day they're only worth $90 and it just works its way down. So, so essentially you're investing your money in something that's going to go away over time. Instead, you want to invest your money in appreciating assets. You want to invest your money in things like a home or in in property or in a 401k, something in which you can invest $100 and tomorrow it would be worth $110, something that is going to increase in value over time. And that's wise teaching, and you should heed it. But the truth of the matter is, when we step back and we look at this thing from a macro perspective, there are no appreciating assets on earth. All of this is going to fade away. All of this is going to go away. All of the houses will one day be antiques. All of the houses one day will be in disrepair. All of the cars will one day be rust buckets. All of the clothes will one day have holes. All of the gold will one day be melted down. All of it will go away. It will fade away. But that which will endure forever, you should invest in. Right now, our mission's budget is fledgling, if I'm being honest with you. But did you know that if for every person that's here this morning, they gave $10 a month. It means if you have a family of four, you give $40 a month. And you were to give that toward our mission budget. Did you know by the end of the year it would be paid in full? That's one meal that you could deprive yourself of. One. If you're a family of five, that's $50. A family of three, that's $30. If you were to set that aside and give that to the, to the mission budget. How many more orphanages could we build, church? 
How many more churches could we plant? How many more unreached people could hear the gospel? How much more could we invest in the spreading and the advancement of the gospel? How many more missionaries might we send out? How many more pastors might God call up? How much more ministry could we do here if you would begin to give? It would open an avalanche of missions and mercy that could happen through our church. And so brothers and sisters, I'm calling you to step up. I'm calling you to step up, not because I need it, not because God needs it, but because it's for your good, it's for his glory, to step up and to invest and to bring as an offering for him that which he has asked from you, to show I'm all in, I'm all in. Let me pray for us this morning.